1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee, and it ships out within hours of roasting. This guarantees that when you order, you get the freshest coffee possible available. The kicker, we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. Check us out at SkullBrewCoffee.com and let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 121. Today we're talking everything from whitetails and mountain lions to military combat with bow addict, Corey Williamson. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Hope everyone out there is doing well. Happy Wednesday to you. It's hump day. A couple more days in the weekend. will be here. Actually, a long weekend, uh, which is I'm super stoked about. Going to get out and do a little turkey hunting this weekend. Be the last Saturday here in Pennsylvania. Actually, might actually get to hunt it with my old man, so, so we'll see. I did get out this past weekend, finally, after after pretty much a full season of turkey hunting of, of uh, miserable failure. I finally got out into the turkey woods uh, this past Saturday morning. Killer morning. Couldn't ask for better better weather. Uh, just kind of enjoyed being being out in uh, in nature. It's been a little too long to uh, to see nature kind of wake up. It's always it's always a welcome sight to kind of watch the woods woods come alive. There were no birds. No birds were harmed in the in the making of that turkey hunt, unfortunately. Uh, but it was nice just to uh, just to get out. My my turkey hunt, as it often does, kind of turned into a into a deer scout because this is an area that I had mentioned in a previous podcast that I had had kind of stumbled onto. Um, and had 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 you know come across some really good sign, um, but that was of course during you know what when was that March I guess so it it, it kind of looks like what it would look like during you know November essentially uh, during the rut uh, with the leaves all off and so forth. But you know for me m- most of the time I'm not in Pennsylvania during that time period. I'm usually in Ohio, but this year I did submit you know uh, for my Iowa tag so I'm hoping that I'll be in Iowa during that time so a lot of times I'm hunting these places around where I live specifically during the earlier part of the season so you know season opener mid-ish September through like the beginning to end endish of of October and especially that first probably like month from mid-September to mid-October I'm still dealing with a lot of 
a lot of foliage, a lot of green on the trees and so forth. So I was able to get in there and do a little turkey hunting this past weekend and actually got a look at what it would look like probably closer to the time that I'll actually be hunting, uh, hunting these pieces. Um, so super thick. Um, some of the setups that I thought might work whenever I was out there scouting, I kind of second guessing now. Um, so that was helpful to kind of see where I might need to kind of make some strategic adjustments. And I think I kind of figured out a, a, a couple more things on, in, in terms of my setup, the one area that I did kind of mark as a, as a good spot, um, that I thought might be a good spot, I think is going to hold true. Um, there's an old fence line that kind of runs in this property. And of course the, uh, you know, not surprised, not surprising to any of you out there probably listening, but there was a, a, a nice, well-worn trail along that fence road, just kind of following it, and it follows it to a food source, and at the other end of that fence line, if you follow the entire property or walk the entire width of the property, it ends up in a swamp, or it ends up back in this other area of bedding cover. So uh, the bedding cover is actually specifically over on some... Uh, on some private, so but it's not too far off the off the property line because the, the chunks aren't that big. Um, so I think my plan, or at least one of my plans, is going to be to hang some cameras in there, uh, specifically at that spot. Um, and then there's a couple little transition areas that I want to check out too that I'm probably going to hang a camera as well. You know, so I, I think in total I might put three on this property. Um, one at that particular spot, that fence line. Want to see you know how early or how late they're making it to. The area where I'd want to set up um, in terms of going to their, you know, evening food source. I think, I think hunting this spot in the evening is going to be a lot easier than the morning because you kind of have the your access is kind of, kind of weird um, and coming into it unless I could get some some favorable. Well, even if I got favorable, uh, you know, permission from the the neighbors, I would still have to walk through. Uh, some open fields where I have a feeling that deer are going to be feeding in the morning. So it's the access in this piece isn't great for morning. Um, so I'm thinking it's probably going to be an evening kind of setup for the most part. And we'll let the, we'll do a little more scouting. We'll watch the cameras when we get them out and see if that all kind of holds true. But so that one spot I think is going to be going to be good. Um, there's a couple spots as you get closer to the front part of the property, actually where you park, where, you know, deer would be coming back into a couple of those food sources. Um, some well-worn trails in there as well that I kind of want to check out, but there's a couple transition areas, um, in between some of this, like in between some of this food, some staging areas, um, that I really like, um, that I noticed some sign the last time I was in there. Um, and it's just kind of intriguing to me. So I'm probably going to place some cameras there as well and see what the deal is. Um, and then there is the kind of the side that's closest to the swamp. I want to kind of check out and hang some cameras back there. can't at least one camera back there as well, because that swamp makes a nice edge, um, you know, for, for deer to kind of follow and it's not far off the food. So it's, it would be kind of a nice little transition, you know, or staging area for deer to kind of mill around, um, in that particular area. So I got a couple things to check out on this piece. I think I'm going to have to get some more, some more cameras before, uh, before all that happens, um, but do have a cool show for you today. But before I, I get into that, I do want to make mention one more time that Exodus Trail Cameras, uh, ExodusOutdoorGear.com does have a sale going on right now. It's their four-year anniversary sale. Year four will get you a discount of 25% on all their products. So it's the lift camera, that's the Trek camera, um, and that is also their new uh, solar panel as well. So check them out, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Use the promo code YEAR4, that's Y-E-A-R, the number four, uh, for your discount. And then also, as I'd mentioned in the previous two podcasts, I'll be headed to Muster in the Mountains, uh, the BHA, or the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers event here in Morris, Pennsylvania. That's June 22nd and 23rd. You can uh, head to the BHA website and go to the Pennsylvania chapter. 
and there will be an RSVP page there as well. Or you can visit uh, the the blog post show notes for the show, and I'll have a link there. Uh, it's all free. There's going to be a bunch of food, drinks. Uh, I'll be there with my family, selling some coffee, doing the Skull Brew Coffee thing, and also doing some podcasting. There'll be a bunch of other, you know, of our buddies there, like Bo Martonic and um, a couple other guys there podcasting. So it should be a good time. Uh, just going to be a bunch of uh, hunters, anglers, and uh, conservationists hanging out, camping, and uh, enjoying some good food, good drink, and good music, and good company. So uh, I do have a cool show for you today, but I want to kind of uh, provide some caveats for this show. Uh, just because this is a little bit different than any of the other shows that I think that I've done to this point. Um, as you guys know, it's like I've been doing these uh, why I hunt things, you know, asking folks why they hunt and kind of get an idea of what makes people tick in that regard. Uh, and with the, um, you know, Memorial Day holiday that's about to, you know, uh, to come up here in the next couple days, um, I wanted to have someone on with the military military background, um, you know, and so I had struck up a conversation with this gentleman, Corey Williamson, um, via social media and we kind of got to talking and stuff like that. And he's a combat vet, um, Af- Afghanistan combat vet. Um, and wanted to bring him on, not just, you know, to talk about like his hunting, uh, cause he's had, had a killer mountain lion hunt, which, which we'll talk about. Um, you know, he's, he's of course big into hunting mature whitetails. So we talk a little bit about that. He's a absolutely a, an archery freak, um, as far as like his dedication to shooting his bow. Um, so all those things that kind of make sense. Um, but I've kind of had this idea and, you know, and I think Sitka actually put out a film, you know, maybe a year or so ago, um, that was around a guy who hunts because he came back from combat and hunting was the thing that kind of helped him reassimilate into civilian life and kind of chronicled his struggles, um, in, in, in going through that, you know, assimilation. And so, I brought Corey on because I wanted to have a combat vet with those kind of experiences. And the reason I wanted to give this caveat is because we do kind of touch on some, some tough topics. Um, you know, Corey, to his credit was, you know, amazingly candid about his experiences and some of his struggles and, um, how hunting was kind of a, a way to help him get through that and bow hunting specifically. Um, and so we do talk about some things that might be kind of tough to hear at times. Um, so I did want to just kind of provide that caveat if anyone out there, you know, wants to not hear some of those things, um, you know, then, then you might want to skip through the, toward the end of this, this podcast, cause we get into some, some deep conversation around it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this party started and Corey Williamson, everyone. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today we have a little bit of a, you know, maybe a little bit of a different show. I know we're putting this out here right before the, or right around the Memorial Day uh, weekend, or I guess it'll be right after probably the the 31st, maybe. Uh, But I have Corey Williamson on. He's a gentleman that I've met through social media, as, you know, a lot of folks, you know, kind of make new friends via that um, format nowadays, especially in in the hunting community. I don't know how many folks I've had an opportunity to you know, create a relationship with that I met through social media or through, you know, hunting conventions and stuff like that. And Corey's kind of no different. I've been following him on Instagram for a while, uh, watching what he's been into in the outdoors and so forth. And, uh, we struck up a conversation. I was like, hell man, feels like I should probably just have you on the show, man. So how's it going, Corey? Going pretty good, man. Uh, Glad to be on here. Yeah, you bet, man. So I know you and I we were we were rapping just a little bit before we hopped on to to record. But you know, for the folks out there that you know don't know who you are, don't know where you're from, and so forth, if you wouldn't mind, just give a little bit of background about you know where you're from, what you do for a living, and and, and where you're living at. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name's Corey. Um, I'm I don't know how many people follow me out there, but it's I used to be uh, chasing the slam, and uh, now it's 
Bo Attic ninety one um, on Instagram. But uh, no, I, I'm from uh, Eastern Maryland. Is where I live now. Um, I actually bought my house. My dad grew up in and completely remodeled it. So it's kind of cool to nice. You know, have roots down. You know, in the family. Uh, originally, I'm from Southern Delaware. Um, grew up hunting, fishing, and uh, currently I work at. Uh, a company called Delmarva Power, and I'm actually a, a lineman there. I work on the power lines, and uh, pretty cool job. It's like high voltage, <laughs> <laughs> right? My cousin actually does it. He works for a uh, for a local um, in Pennsylvania, um, for, you know, with the union, and uh, he puts in like it's. Uh, he was explaining to me what he does, but it's it's those huge kind of. Uh, power grid kind of intersection points i think is what he okay. is what he builds um he actually had a real scary we went and did an elk hunt two years ago which you know he's a tough old boy but i wasn't sure how he was going to fare because he actually a, a piece of uh, a pole broke loose off a truck and he knocked one of his mm. guys out of the way and he actually got hit and pinned between the pole and a piece of machinery and just completely crushed the top of his leg um yeah, it was it was touch and go for a hot minute where, you know, he uh, we weren't sure if he was going to make it make it just in general. And then once they stabilized him and stuff like that, it's they weren't sure if he was going to keep his leg, you know, which he ended up keeping his leg. He has a metal rod in it and so forth. So elk season rolls around and as like a joke, as a running joke, we call each other Terrier Jim all the time, which isn't either of our names. Um, don't know where it came from necessarily. But, you know, we're getting ready for elk season, and we're like, Terry, you think you can be able to go this year? And he's like, he just looks at me, he's like, boy, I ain't missing elk hunting. And that was it. <laughs> and he put his pack on, and he's got, and we started hiking to kind of get in shape and stuff like that. And, dude, he, he kept up, man. He's a he's a tough old boy. But that's some tough work, man. That's not a, that's not for the faint of heart. It's, uh, it, it definitely has its moments. Um, there, you really got to pay attention to everything around you take a take a look at everything before you really get into it and make sure that everybody that's on your crew is on the same page because i mean it, it it's unforgiving um and there's a lot of dangers you know outside of being up there and working on the actual power lines and stuff you know loading poles yeah and uh there's just it's it's a fun job in a way if you kind of like uh the what ifs in life right if you like if you like a little bit of a thrill you know yeah <laughs> i don't know i was we, he and i were joking i was like man i don't know that i could do that i was like i just i'm not scared of heights i was like but i have a healthy fear or maybe a healthy respect of electricity <laughs> always have uh-huh. as a kid i got electrocuted as a kid and since then you know i uh you know the most i'll do in my house is maybe change out some light switches if it's beyond that i'm calling an electrician because i'll uh I'm, I'm not interested in eating you know any more 110 that I've eaten in my life already? I don't know, yeah. Well, I kind of grew up around it. My dad, he's been uh, in a, not the same company, but another local company. Okay. And uh, he's been a lineman for, I guess, about 29 years now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I don't know if it's not really in my blood, I guess, but it's just something I've always been around. And, uh, you know, I've seen the kind of life that he allowed me and my sister to have. and. Right. I wanted that for my son. And so it was just, you know, it was a good career to choose, you know, coming out of the military and all that. Yeah. Glad to be where I'm at for sure. 
Yeah, for sure, man. It's 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 interesting too. The guys that I know that are linemen, it's like they're every one of them absolutely love it. Like my cousin, like he like we talk about it. And he's like I couldn't imagine doing anything else, and he's in management now. I guess is how you would put it. And he still gets out there mm-hmm. every day and just grinds. He's like I just like it, man. He's like I don't want to sit in a truck and we we make fun of him. We tell him he's a white hat, you know, and he, he gets mad. He's like I get out there and work just as hard as everybody else, which he does. We just just bust his chops a little bit, but man, turning back to hunting, dude, how was, uh, how was your 28 season? You know, I know you had a good beginning of 2019. If, uh, if the Instagram pictures tell the story. Well, 2019 was a lot better than 2018. I can tell you that. <laughs> <We're>, um, <laughs> nice. Shoo. Uh, well, 2018, let's see. I had a rough start. Um, we lost, we had a, so much rain this past year um throughout the summer and all and it just really ruined a lot of our crops which really hurt me because an area that i mainly hunt which you know if anybody follows me you've seen um my back-to-back bucks over the years i shot you know really paul made it out eight point and then the following year i shot a nice it's a mainframe eight with a hook and nice. full velvet back-to-back years out of the same stand and uh one standing corn Nice. Year year after that was beans. It was, it was rough because the neighbor behind us had um, late beans in, so they were younger and more tender to the deer, which everybody knows that they're going to favor that over older beans. Right. Well, anyway, um, then last year, standing corn again, but all that rain, it, it just, I think we lost. Man, I don't know, probably, 15, I don't know, maybe 15 acres of corn. Wow. Somewhere in there. And uh, it just, I had bucks early on, um, some decent ones. I had a really good one, but he ended up getting hit the following year, but, uh, or the year before. But, um, I mean, it just, it was hit or miss. Finally ended up getting on one in... I don't know. I think I shot one in November, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. I'm not against shooting a slick head right. in the rut. Yeah, unlike most, unlike most people. Right. Um, yeah, I'm in it. I'm in it for the sport. Um, I, you know, I grew up as a meat hunter, and I'll always be a meat hunter. Yep. But uh, so you know, I ended up killing. I think just three does last year. And then uh, I kind of took a break for a little bit, about a, I don't know, maybe a two week break or so. And was getting prepped for a mountain lion hunt in Colorado that I had planned for almost about a year, I would say. I had it, had it booked uh, with Cat Track Outfitters in okay. Western Colorado. And uh, man, I got to tell you, it was. Pins and needles yeah. leading up to it. I was, uh, I don't think I've ever been more excited for the hunt. <laughs> was, um, that, was that your first cat hunt? That was my first legit cat hunt. <laughs> when I was stationed in Colorado, I had got this brilliant idea. I was going to hike a ground blind up to the middle of the mountains and take a, like a coyote e-caller and set up and try to call in a mountain lion. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it's been done, but I don't, it was just, 
Well, you know, I didn't, you don't make a whole lot of money in the military and, uh, and I just didn't have the plans or resources at the time to, to plan an actual one. And I was in, obviously Colorado being stationed there. I was in prime cat country area to hunt anything. Right. Uh, but no, nah, I mean, it was, it was a blast. I, I kind of have been spoiled. Um, I've been on a couple hunts over the last few years, um, black bear hunting in Maine and then antelope hunting in Wyoming. And I've always, both of those hunts I killed on the first day, which well, was kind of a spoiler. Yeah, for sure. I get this mountain lion hunt and it was totally different. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit, man. So what was the, what was the lead up like, man? Like what type of prep did you have to do? Was this a, was this a, I'm assuming it was a gun hunt, right? No, I went with a bow. You went with a bow? Um, okay. I, yeah. I, I strictly bow hunt. Okay. Uh, and it's not, not biased or anything, you know, I, well, I say I strictly, I use that loosely. I will gun hunt every now and then, but yep. it, it's pretty rare. It all depends on the situation. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. It's like I'll, I, uh, if I'm turkey hunting, I'll usually take a gun, and it's because I'm a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty, you know, pathetic turkey hunter. So I'll uh, give myself the best odds possible, you know. But outside of that, it's like there's usually always a bow in my hand. Otherwise, but no, I totally feel you. It's it's hard to beat that that rush of being up close. That's it, man. That's, uh, that's it. But, uh, I mean, I just kind of try to stay in shape as best I can because I knew I was going to be hiking through the mountains, which that didn't end up helping me at all. Because <laughs> um, I was, I'm going to tell you, them, them mountain boys, they can get it. Yeah, they can. I was gassed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just, you know, regular workout plan, uh, weighted pack, just walking and stuff and just gym work. And, uh, I had a target I'd ended up climbing this tree and throwing a rope over a limb and I practiced shooting elevated shots and mm-hmm. uh it really benefited me uh, I don't know if a lot of deer hunters and all anymore I don't you know they mostly don't check the third axis and everything and that plays a big role in uphill and downhill shots right even from a deer stand you know mm-hmm. it, it could possibly affect your shot and uh, so really honing in and making sure my third axis was was really key and uh making sure I can actually make the shots and under thick brush situations. But Yeah, I mean that was pretty much as far as my prep work goes. Nice. Yeah, I mean that's one of those things where that type of hunt, you know, if you're gonna go on a hunt like a what I call an adventure hunt, it's like you wanna do your due diligence to be to be ready because if you get an opportunity it's like you don't want to squander it you know what i mean because you're not sure you know how how often or when you might get a chance to get back and do it again and you know will you get another opportunity so it's always you know even when you're whitetail hunting man it's like i know for me you know i i definitely spend time elevated you know i shoot pretty much all year round but like as i hit the summer it's like i'll start spending time elevated just so i make sure that just as you kind of talked about third axis is good. Make sure I feel good elevated. Cause I'm shooting, I'm hunting out of a saddle. So it's like, you know, getting used to being in the, in the tree again in that, you know, and then just making sure that, you know, everything looks a little different when it's elevated too. You know what I mean? Cause I'm trying to oh, yeah. make sure that my gapping's consistent. Like I, that I'm able to take my gapping from, you know, from standing on the ground to, to an elevated situation. Um, you know, and it usually takes me, you know, probably like a session or two to, you know, feel real good. You know what I mean? And then after that, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good to go, but it's just that little extra that'll, that'll help you out. But, you know, now once you got into your hunt, man, like what was the, what was the terrain like? 
Like it was it, you know, were you, how, I guess, let me start this way. Like what type of elevation are you hunting at for, for cats there? Um, I wasn't, I'm not quite sure the elevation. I know it's a lot higher than where I'm from is like negative elevation. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, right. <laughs> it was, man, I, I don't, I couldn't, I don't want to lie, but it, I'm going to say maybe seven to 8,000 feet yeah. somewhere in there. It was, it was not, um, like central Colorado in mm-hmm. the Rockies where it's, you know, 12, 13,000 feet right. and just terrible. This was more of a kind of like a flat rolling hills kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like canyony area, which I was grateful for until <laughs> I had to start walking to get my cat. <laughs> right. And it was not in very gradual rolling hills. Right. It was straight down and straight up. But uh, it was it was cool. Um, I hadn't been to that part of the state. You know, I've I've been pretty much everywhere else from all down the Rockies and on the eastern side, and um, so it was cool to see a different different side of the state. And uh, it, my first day, we rode around in the morning. Um, there was fresh snow, thankfully, so that was that was yeah a blessing. Uh, we cut two females, but she had cub or, uh, kittens with her. Okay. And it's a state law that you can't release dogs on mountain lines with a kitten. Right. So, and that was pretty much the story for, it was a five day hunt. And, uh, we were either just cutting females with kittens or we weren't cutting anything at all. And, uh, it, uh, be honest with you for the amount i mean that was i don't know it's it's a ways from the eastern shore right and to uh have flown all the way out there and and spent the money which i mean regardless of what you're hunting whether you're going on a guided hunt a diy or you're just hunting in your backyard there's always that opportunity that you're not going to kill something right Right. And uh, I try to go into everything with that kind of mentality so I don't let myself down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the the fifth day, I mean, we got rolling and we all kind of split up in different areas. Um, I went with one boy and the other two went out separate ways and they just covered as much ground as possible um, because he's not used to not killing. Um, so the, the guide was, he was pretty stressed out. And, uh, so was I. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, imagine they get pretty stressed out, man. Cause it's, you know, it's all on them kind of, right. It's like someone's going to them for their, for their expertise, you know what I mean? And they, if they're not producing, I'm sure they feel, you know, pretty horrible. I've got, you know, have a couple buddies and have had a couple, you know, a couple buddies who've done, guiding for whitetails and stuff like that too at some decent decent places around the country and stuff and that was one of the things they things they've always said is that you know it's you know i think the way you went into it knowing that like regardless of whether it's a guide deal or a diy deal or whatever it's still hunting and animals aren't going to just show up and you know stand sideways for you or you're in a tree and say hey come get me you know there's still always that opportunity that it's not gonna not gonna work out and 
he was always appreciative whenever there was folks that came in that understood that like, Hey, even though there's, you know, for him, at least, even though there's great deer around here and I have a really good idea of where they're at and what they're doing at different times of the year. And I have a pretty good feeling I can put you on a good deer. There's no guarantee that, that, it, you know, it's going to be present the right shot opportunity. And then the next part of it is, is that the person who's doing the hunt has to have the skill set to execute whatever shot opportunity they get too. You know what I mean? That's the other part of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a two-part deal when it comes to you got to definitely have somebody who knows the area, knows, puts the time in. Um, I mean, cameras anymore are definitely a huge thing, mm-hmm. um, especially you know, for whitetails. I know a lot of people are using them for elk and mule deer and everything, but they're, that is totally different. Yeah. They, I, I would imagine trying to pattern a mule deer and an elk would be almost impossible unless you are in a state like Utah where you can use like salt and stuff like that to bait. But Right, right. Um, now, when you guys were cutting tracks, like were you was that all hiking? Were you doing some side by side riding? Like how does how does that work? I'm glad it wasn't walking. <laughs> um, we had they had a flatbed diesel truck. You know, okay. utility beds in the back, and uh, we load two four wheelers up with tracks, and uh, we take off. Some days we had snowmobiles. Some days we'd be on side by side. So it was a. They definitely had a setup for sure. Right. Um, to be able to cover as much ground as possible, and they even had horses, and we weren't sure if we were going to have to resort to that or not, which. If we did, that would have just made the hunt that much more epic. Right. You know, riding horses back into this canyon and shooting a cat would have just been, you know, awesome. Yeah, it, but, would, um, it wouldn't get much better than that. Oh, yeah. No. I, it's definitely a lot better than walking. Yeah. <laughs> so once you once you guys did finally cut a track and get on get on a cat, like, what's, like what does that look like? Because I've never... I've never lion hunt, hunted. It's something I'd like like to do at some point. It's on my uh, it's on my bucket list, I guess I should say. Um, but so once you cut a track, I mean, are you are you guys? Is it release the dogs and kind of and follow those guys and just kind of take off? Um, <laughs> they tried to explain like the track deal to me, but I couldn't tell the difference between that and any kind of other animal in the snow. Right. But um, they kind of determine whether if it, it's a good cat or not. You know, they had tape measures out and all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, made sure that it was a fresh enough track that they could possibly run. And uh, once they do that, then they get the dogs all collared up. They've got um, the tracking collars where you can see them on like a little handheld GPS. It tells you where the dogs are going, you know, where they're at. Um, some of them have like barks per minute and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I have no idea what that would do. And right. uh, it's got a frequency on the collar where it'll show if they're treed. So if they're facing up, I guess there's some sort of mechanism in it that sends back to the GPS that it's treed. So, hmm. so they get all those on there, and uh, they set a couple off. They bring them over to the track and put them on it, and then they start releasing the rest of the dogs. And from there, I mean, it's pretty much epic chaos. Um, <laughs> dogs are running all over the place. 
they're barking up a storm. And to me, you know, being a, a military working dog handler to watch dogs work like that, that, that meant every, I mean, that just capitalized the hunt right there. I mean, it was yeah so cool to see him, you know, getting on the track and then to hear their, their bark change and all that stuff when they, cause you could tell when they were on the cat, mm-hmm. like their, their change of behavior, you know, the way they barked and all that stuff just completely changed. And, and then, uh, we just kind of stayed within an area, uh, where they were running. Luckily they were down in a Canyon, um, running this cat. So, we kind of got lucky there versus having to drive, you know, ride all over the place because they can possibly go, you know, miles and miles before they finally tree. Right. And, uh, so luckily I, I'm assuming the cat was, was either on a, a kill nearby or, or something. And, uh, she was just held up in this Canyon. And, uh, so once they got, you know, they kind of, we kind of rode around just a little bit up and down, and then once they showed trees, then then it was time for us to um, hike in after them. And that was a job and a, and a half. And it really? How far was the hike in? Um, we started up on top, and it, it was kind of like gradually down. And then we had to crawl through these like two big rocks, and then then it was straight down. You're pretty much skiing at this point, right? Um, <laughs> and then back up like a small ridge and then back down into another one and that was uh where the cat was treed up but it was probably oh it was far enough right a mile (laughs) a mile mile. as long as it wasn't straight up right but um (laughs) the way back was yeah i was just gonna say it was skiing on the way down and climbing on the way back out that's brutal oh yeah but that was a nice There's looking. So, so once they treat it and you get there, like, what's the setup to take the shot? Like, how does all that play out? Um. So as soon as I got there, because I got there after everybody else did, because I'm from the East Coast. Um, right. I finally got there, and at this point, I'm dropping everything. I'm dropping my pack, my jacket, and quiver, and all that, and I'm grabbing an arrow and throwing it in, and trying to figure out where I can get because the it was on the side of this little ridge. There's a tree right on the side of the ridge. And I didn't really have any good spot to, uh, to get a shot. And I had a shot for a frontal, but they say you never want to take a frontal shot. Cause mm-hmm. that, you know, your target's a lot smaller at this point. Right. So finally one of the guys, he, he had found a hole for me to shoot and I ended up having to climb up probably, 20 yards up the side of this other ridge and it was it was almost like a straight across shot <laughs> to this lion and uh you know when it's it's that's a big cat and it's staring at you and you're just like oh crap <laughs> and the dogs are barking because they they've got to grab all the dogs and tie them up just in case the arrow is still in it or, or the cat's not fully dead when it falls and and gets into the dogs and hurts the dogs. But, um, so there's, I mean, people yelling, there's dogs going crazy. And uh, my heart never pounded so hard 
even <laughs> in gunfights in Afghanistan. I mean, it was just unreal. Wow. Um, finally got it back, shot her, and uh, it was just like slow motion. I watched the arrow just slowly hit her right in the, you know, right where you want it, right in the heart. She jumped up, hit a tree, a, a tree limb above her. And when she came back down and hit the tree limb that she was standing on, I mean, she was, she was dead and fell right down the ground. And I gotta be honest. Uh, I mean, I've never gotten emotional on any hunt, but taking it to the fifth day on, on an animal that you've had on your list forever. Yeah. Uh, it's an emotional moment, man. I teared up. I'm man enough to say it. <laughs> oh, hell, hell yeah, man! It's like that's. I mean, if, if if we can't if we can't have a connection like that with the with the outdoors, you know what I mean? With with nature and and animals that we like to pursue, man. Then you know for sure. It's like I've said it in the past. It's you know it's uh you know I get I get choked up a little bit just about every time I harvest a deer and I just and when I just think about it just the gravity of it you know what I mean it's uh oh, yeah. it's this you know there's this connection you know and some people that maybe don't hunt and maybe even some people that do you know would say that that's crazy or whatever but I'm the same as you man it's like I'm I'm man enough to admit it you know what I mean there's I don't know just and we'll get into this in a little bit but it just means a lot more to me than just flinging arrows you know and so for me it oh, runs a little deeper but you know, and I know that does for you too. So that's awesome, man. Like that's, and that, that's a good looking cat too, buddy. Do you, uh, is that a, is that a full mount that's going on in the house or what's happening with that? Yeah. I, I told my fiance before I left, I said, I hope you're ready. Cause if I kill one, <laughs> it's going to be fully mounted in this house. And she, she knew right. before I even had said anything to her. Right. But, um, right. That's we've awesome. Got, we're going to have quite a variety. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. So that's an epic hunt, right? So your 2019 season's already off to like a killer start. So what do you have coming oh, up for yeah. what, what do you have coming up for the rest of the year, man? Like what's up for whitetails? You doing any more travel hunts? You know what's going on there? Um, well, mostly I travel. Anytime I travel, I travel with my dad. Um, oh, that's cool. You know, he 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 grew up or you know, I grew up you know, he taught me how to hunt. I think I was on my first deer hunt when I was like four years old with him. Nice. And he shot this doe, like the barrel was like right by my head and I'll never forget it. Um, it was just, that kind of set it all off for me. Um, so, you know, I went to the military and all that stuff and, um, I really got into bow hunting after my deployment. Uh, you know, just, uh, clear my head in a way without medication and um yeah so uh you know it just it was kind of a way for me to him me and him to hang out because you know growing up he worked a lot and um and then you know i went away and i didn't live i wasn't at home for i don't know maybe six or seven years something like that i you know bounced back and forth right and um it was just, it's just been a way for me to kind of hang out with him. You know, I'm older now and mm. I don't get to see him all the time. And it's just, it's just been great to go and, and hang out with him and hunt. And he's very competitive and so am I. And, you know, we went to Maine and shot bears and That's his awesome. was bigger than mine. And 
<laughs> never let me live it down. Right. Well, dude, isn't that but, the way? Uh, isn't that the way, though, man? Your old man is I always say this. You know, it's like my old man might be getting older. Well, we're both getting older, right? But you know, it, there's mm-hmm. a doesn't matter what it is that we do. He'd still whoop my ass at it, and that's just the, it, <laughs> you know what I mean. Don't understand it. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. That's either. like he's got that. Uh, he's got that old man strength on me. Like if we get into like a little bit of a wrestling match or whatever, I'm just like, old oh, man, how are you still this strong? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think mine can beat me in that, but he definitely kills bigger stuff than me. I don't get it. Right? Yeah, my dad's he's he's a pretty uh, he's a pretty strong fella. I guess we'll we'll put it that way. He's always been just ridiculously strong, and even to this to this day, you know, he's still pretty uh, he's still a brute. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, I can beat you on speed. You know what I mean? But it's like if he gets a hold of me, it's like you know what I mean? It's a different it's a different story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I got to do a. That's it, man. Even my brother-in-law, when he and I, you know, grapple around a little bit or whatever, he'll look at me because he's ten years younger than me. He'll look at me like, man, and he goes to the gym like every day, and he's like ridiculously fit, like he's built like a a marble statue essentially. And he's like, man, he's like, how is it any time we like fake fight or wrestle or whatever? He's like, you got this like old man strength that you only get with age. He's like, that I just can't break through. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I was like, boy, it's. It's years of hard living and putting up with your sister. I was like, that's what that's called. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man, that's cool though, man. That you get to do those hunts with your with your with your dad. I'm a my dad and I. So, you know, I lived in Orlando for a bunch of years and stuff, and you know, wasn't able to wasn't able to do much hunting. There. I was a musician, and you know, all my time was spent in studios and rehearsals and stuff like that. So I really didn't get to do much hunting. And we did take a trip to Alaska, and he and I haven't hunted since that trip to Alaska in like 2002, maybe 2001, 2002, something oh, like man. that. You guys are due for a hunt. I know, seriously, man. Tell me about it. Well, it was we lived apart, and he still lives in the Carolinas now. He lives in North Carolina, and I'm back in Pennsylvania. Um, schedules are just kind of hard to match up. We were supposed to hunt last year. Um, he bought a piece of property in our home, back in our hometown, and. Uh, something happened at work and he couldn't get up because we were planning to hunt for like three days. So hopefully this, hopefully this, you know, deer season, he'll come up and we'll get a couple of days of archery, archery together. But if that doesn't happen, we already put on the books, already have it kind of marked down 2020 in September. He and I are going to do an archery, uh, archery elk hunt in Colorado with some, with a, with a buddy of mine. So yeah, man, I'm looking That's my for, dad's dream hunt. yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, talking about, you know, emotional or whatever it was, you know, I like to do DIY style hunts. That's just my preference. It's, I did an elk hunt in Montana with like three buddies and it was all, you know, living in a, either in a small cabin or in a tent in the mountain until the weather got bad and just going after it on, you know, public ground. And I, and I love that type of stuff. And, you know, the old man was asking me about going on a, on a elk hunt together and he likes the gun hunt. You know, he, he raised me and we always gun hunted together and that's how I was raised. But I got into bow hunting later in life and, uh, I was kind of on him. I was like, man, I was like, you know, let's do an elk hunt. I was like, let's do an archery hunt. You know, finally I got him coming around to these like, okay, he's like, we'll do an archery hunt. And then, you know, we started going, going back and forth and I was kind of like, well, why don't we go do this public land thing? And, you know, he's not a super old man by any stretch of the imagination necessarily. He's in his sixties, you know, but, uh, you know, he was, he wanted something just a little, he wanted at least a nice place to stay in the evenings. He didn't mind grinding during the day, you know, and stuff like that. And, and I had to stop and kind of like check myself for a second. And I was like, I was like, man, I'm, I'm talking to myself here. I'm like, are you seriously going to be a, that big of a jerk that you won't go on a hunt with your dad because it's not the type of hunt you want to do? I was like, man, you're, you're an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, 
I, you know, I called him up and I was like, Hey, I was like, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do. I was like, let's do it. You just tell me where and I'll help make the arrangements and whatever. And, and so then he was kind of like, I'd like to go to one of those ranches where you just kind of pay for a place to stay. He's like, and then you can hunt the property yeah. or whatever. And I just so happened to have a buddy in Colorado who has a ranch, um, or access to a ranch in his family. Um, and he's like, yeah, man, you can stay at our cabin for a, you know, a fee, you know, and it's not too bad. And they have about 850 acres on the ranch, but it's surrounded by, you know, whatever it is, 20,000, 30,000 acres of public. Um, that's hard to get into because their access roads to the public kind of run through their property. And so it kind of fits mm -hmm. the best of both worlds because they have, they killed, I've, uh, I wish I knew the name of the, where it's at. Cause you'd probably know. Um, they killed a state record bear on that property last year. And they got some nice bulls on that property too. So I think I'm going to get an elk tag and a bear tag and see if I can't fill both of them that week. So. Yeah. If you're going to be hunting anywhere like Northern or Southern, um, definitely buy a bear tag. Yeah. But, uh, he sent me some trail camera pictures, man. He's got elk and bears. I mean, there's, there's a water, there's a big water tank there and there's bears sitting in it. Like it's a hot tub, like arms along the back, <laughs> just like hanging out. It's pretty, they're pretty big too, man. So, um, should be a cool hunt, but we're both pretty stoked about it. You know, get to hang out with, uh, hang out with him. But man, I want to shift gears here, man, and circle back to your, to your time in the military, you know? So did you go straight into the military right after, right after high school and, and you know, what branch did you go into? Yeah, I, um, I was in high school and I was in that JROTC deal. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so that kind of got my interest with the military and, um, Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. I knew I, I'm not a, I was not a very good student. I did not want to be in school because mm -hmm. I thought it was stupid and it would, wouldn't do anything for me. So I decided when I graduated, I was going to be military. So I started to talk to a few recruiters. Mm -hmm. um, and I initially started to talk to a Marine recruiter. Um, it, the Marines, I mean, you know, it's, it's a very prized thing, you know, mm -hmm. and um, they seem to get a lot of glory. And uh, <clears throat> um, so I started talking to him for a little bit, and he kind of, he was just like really hyping me up. Right. Telling me all these stories and all this stuff. And he's like, are you ready to kick ass and take names? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, let's okay. go. <laughs> right. And uh, then he, I found out he was a cook. And I was like, man, you hype me up. You're a cook. <laughs> and, that that, uh, might, be the, that just, might be one of the best like statements I ever heard in my life. That was, that was pretty yeah. good. <laughs> man, like, but, uh, you know, because I, uh, I wanted to be infantry. Right. Um, I told myself if I'm going to go in, I'm going to do the hardest, most, you know, hardcore job that I could do for my country. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he told me, he was like, well, you know, you kind of, you can kind of put it on a list, but we kind of determined, I was like, well, I'm not doing that. So then I go and I talk to the army recruiter. I walked in the recruiting office and I was like, he was like, hey, how you doing? My name is, you know, Stephanie McGill, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh, hey, what's up? Yeah, my name's Corey. 
I said, uh, I want to be infantry. Can we make that happen? He was like, well, uh, let's do some tests and all and, and see, you know, maybe we can get you somewhere else um, and get a bigger bonus. And I was like, I don't care about a bonus. I said, I want infantry. Ooh, I guess I'll just go back and talk to this cook back here in the Marines. <laughs> right. And uh, he was like, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he looks it up on the computer. He was like, well, we can get you out this October. I said, cool, put me down. Nice. Some nice paperwork, what goes on. So, yeah, I mean, straight out of high school, um, went to the Army, uh, infantry. Uh, I was on a delayed entry program. So after I graduated, I had spent some time going to the recruiting office, um, periodically, you know, uh, training, uh, doing physical fitness and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. then learning like your rank and your phonetic alphabet and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and then I shipped out in October of 2010. Okay. And, uh, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia for infantry school. Um, and that was, uh, you know, a lot of people say that it was, they hated basic and all that stuff, but I got to tell you, it was, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I met a lot of great people. Um, unfortunately two of them, uh, passed away in Afghanistan since, you know, we had been to, since, you know, leaving there. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a good experience. Uh, I was there for 18 weeks. Um, came home for Christmas leave and all that in December and then went back. Right. And, uh, man, it was, when they pinned that blue cord on my shoulder, it was just a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finally made it through. Right. Proud moment, but, I bet, right? And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it's something everybody... You know, as an infantryman, that's what you strive for: the blue cores and your cross rifles. Yeah, cross rifles, and uh, it was just—it was a great experience. And uh, I was on the skinny boy program, so I got to eat a lot. Which that was good. <laughs> the skinny boy program, <laughs> nice. So it, it's interesting, man. You know, I've got a lot of relatives in the in the military that have you know everything from uncles that were in you know Vietnam. My grandfather, who you know passed since, is. He was in uh, World War Two, and as much as they, you know, they that you go through and in, in, you know, basic and then beyond that, you know, the things that folks experience and stuff like that. It's like there isn't a one of them that I ever talked to that um, didn't that wouldn't say they would go back tomorrow and do it again. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I just it's and I think it's hard for folks who weren't in the military or aren't in the military, you know, that have never had that type of bond with other people. You know what I mean? To kind of understand, it's like they put you through some really hard stuff, and then you you do some things that are really really tough. Like beyond that, after you go through training and stuff like that, it's like, and they can't fathom how you would look at that as like one of the best times ever. You know what I mean? Like, so what is it that's, that's like that galvanizing thing that people just that have gone through it, you know, love it, and they're the only ones that can really understand it. I think it's just the bond. Um, I mean, but. Uh, everybody's got friends in high school. Um, y'all hang out and do your thing when you're in school and all that. When you go in the military, it's, it's totally different because you're putting, now this is, 
job specific. Mm-hmm. Like for me, my life was in somebody else's hands. His mm-hmm. life was in my hands. So that bond that you have, because you spend every day together when you're overseas, you spend every day together when you're here, mm-hmm. stateside. Um, and it's just something it's, it was so hard for me to come back into the civilian life, um, and try to have like norm, like a normal life mm-hmm. outside of the military. Um, cause nobody understands you. You can't like talk about stuff or, you know, right. Uh, throw like weird words out and they're like, uh, I have no idea what that means. And you got to try to explain it to them. And they're like, that's stupid. It, it's oh, like, whatever, dude, you just don't get it. Right. It's, it's like a whole life. And this might be a bad way to represent it, but it's like a whole life of like your best friends get all your inside jokes. And then all of a sudden you're in a group of people that know none of your inside jokes. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, now, maybe it's just because we were crazy and drank a lot. You know, I think, I think for the most part, every infantry guy is crazy and drinks a lot. I mean, you got to be the right to want to do that kind of job. But uh, I mean, ninety percent of the jokes and all were, were dirty or homosexual. Right. And uh, let's face it, there's not a whole lot of people who you know would get that and go along with it right. that haven't you know. That haven't been so in that just, culture. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just it's different. So you you you'd mentioned you know that that bond and that you know your your job your life was in someone else's hands and theirs in yours. So you know, what was your your job specifically in the military? Um. So originally I joined and I was an eleven Bravo, which is an infantryman. Mm-hmm. Um. So pretty much I'm a frontline soldier. Uh. I go out do patrols, missions, stuff like that. And should, uh, I'll just call it an issue arise when you're deployed, you know, you you take care of it and, uh, try to make sure everybody goes home safe and, uh, you eliminate the issue. Um, and then, but when I got to my duty station at Fort Carson in Colorado, they put me in a 11 Charlie platoon, which is mortarman infantry. Mm. So I did like a little class, got qualified as a mortarman, um, which was cool. You know, I got to blow up stuff. Right. Who doesn't like that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then right before we deployed, um, my platoon sergeant, he was like, Hey, uh, we've got, we need to, you know, send somebody to this dog handler school when it's between you and your team leader. And I was like, well, I'm going to take it because I didn't like my team leader. Right. And, uh, so I wanted something to hold over his head. And, uh, <laughs> so they sent me and 20 other guys from our brigade to Indiana, um, Yuma, Indiana. I'm not Yuma, Indiana. Uh, man, I can't even remember the name of it. But they sent us to Indiana and, uh, we went to Von Lick Kennels, and we started our dog training there. We, we spent a month there, um, and then we would spend a month in Arizona and then fly over on a C-130. But uh, I had a German Shepherd. I have a German Shepherd, and he's 
he's actually retired and he lives with me. So that was, it was awesome. But originally I had a female Mallow and, uh, she was not a very good dog. She was, uh, her way or no way. So (laughs) they got rid of her and, and when they brought Falco out, which is my dog, he, uh, it was like an instant bond. I mean, we, we kind of bonded for like, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes. And then they sent us on this, uh, this search for, uh, a hidden explosive out in the woods. And I mean, we just crushed it. Nice. I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. And, uh, so we went overseas and, uh, as a private, which was kind of, you don't, most of the time when you're doing, sitting in on, uh, these op orders and stuff like that. When you go over there for these missions, it's mainly higher ranking people, mm-hmm. um, platoon sergeants, team leaders, captains, those kind of deal, lieutenants. Right. And they, they're going over these operations and everything like that. And, uh, then they'll go out, they'll brief mm-hmm. their team. Well, I actually got to sit in on every single one that I was involved in. And, uh, it's intimidating. Um, you know, I was 20 years old, and, uh, you know, I was sitting in there and then here I am, you know, this, the lowest ranking person in there and I'm telling these guys what I need them to do and what I'm going to do. And it's just kind of, it, it was good. Um, cause it helped me communicate and lead, um, outside of it. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, we just, Went over there and, you know, my third day I found an IED, you know, and that was kind of a wake-up call from there and, you know, 12 months of it. Right. So when when was your uh, when was your first deployment? Uh, I did one deployment. Uh, I deployed from 2011 to 2012. Wow. And uh, I was in the eastern part of Afghanistan. Okay. What would be, I guess, what would be the, I guess, the an, an area that's that would be near where you were at that people would recognize? Is there like a, not a town, I don't know, what um, call them, but. I would say uh, Kandahar City. Okay, yeah. I believe that's like the capital mm-hmm. of Afghanistan. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's like, it's a huge city. Mm-hmm. And uh, there used to be a big Taliban stronghold in the, in the beginning of the war. And, uh. So that I worked around that area, uh, the Argandai Valley, and then up into like the Kunar province, like further north. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen the movie uh, with the Corngall Valley. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah, I was up around that area as well. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily a pleasant area, from what I understood. From. Still isn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I shouldn't say it wasn't. I guess you're you're right. It still is not a not a pleasant area. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what was a what was a typical a typical day for you? Like, man, like you know, you wake up in the morning and, and twelve months, man. That, is that you know? I'm gonna show my my naiveness here around you know deployment timing and stuff like that. But is that is that a typical deployment or is that seems like a kind of a long deployment, right? Um. Yeah. Uh. For the army, it's always been twelve. Yeah. Um, and then you get into like, you know, special ops like rangers and 
Green Berets and Marsock and stuff like that. And they actually do shorter ones, like I think like three to six months or something like that. Okay. Um, I believe Marines do six or nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like right after I had, had left, uh, they had switched to nine month appointments for the army. But, um, so, I mean, it's, it's pretty, 12 months is, is pretty average. It's good enough time to get ripped in, do what you need to do, and then train the next group coming in and replace you uh, right. before you leave. Right. So, so how did you work? The, like, so you, you would go out and you patrol and you said, you know, you found that first IED and it was kind of a wake up, wake up call. How do you work a dog to, to find that, you know, particularly cause you know, I'm, I'm just imagining like it's, everything's hidden pretty well. Right. So it's like, I think that's kind of what you were saying, like where you really have to trust that dog and that dog's kind of life's in your hands and vice versa. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the training, they kind of start them young. Um, they've actually used this like box system to get them down. So what it is, is a, is a box and the back of it doesn't, isn't boarded up. There's a hole mm-hmm. and you got a hole in the top and, um, they'll line like three or four up and you make them stick their nose in each hole on the top side. And then once they get to the other one, it's a, it's got a scent in it, like C4 or, mm-hmm. um, like an ammonium nitrate or something like that, which is your most common um, form of IED, which is a HME, a homemade explosive. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's got this source of explosive in there and a tennis ball. So once they sniff it, you tell them to sit, and then you stick your hand on the ground, the backside, you toss the tennis ball up out of the hole that they just smelled out of. Mm-hmm. So then they start associating that scent with the tennis ball. Okay. So, and then you start, and then you can start doing like uh, road searches and and vehicles and all that kind of stuff. But that's like the initial. That's like ground zero for any sort of dog, whether it's a narcotics dog or an explosive dog. Hmm. That kind of training. That it's, it's the pace, and right. it's uh, essentially just a giant ball hunt for them. They don't know they're looking for the bomb. They're just looking for the tentacle. <laughs> Right to them, it's just it's kind of a game, right? It's uh, yeah, exactly, but yeah. it's a. Uh, but I imagine, man, like I don't, I don't know, and it just might be me being weird or you know, or, or funny or whatever. But I don't know. I get a sense that like I don't know. The dogs just seem to be super intuitive, man. Especially those ones that are just certain breeds are just really, really smart. It's like I have to get a feeling that like whenever they're with you in a situation, cause I even know just like whenever something would get weird at the house with like my dog around or whatever, something got tense or whatever, his demeanor would change. Like he would pick up immediately like, okay, shit's not right. You know, didn't have to say anything oh, yeah. to him. He would just know. And I imagine out there, like they would kind of have that same type of like sixth sense of like, Hey, shit isn't right. You know, did you ever kind of see that where it was like, they were giving you a tell before, before something before something materialized where you were like mm, that's what they that's what they noticed oh absolutely um there's i mean there's multiple times the advantage uh like we were with our dogs day in and day out so anytime you just learn the change of behavior mm-hmm. um throughout training you could you could just watch them you you didn't even have to be right on top of it 
But you could tell as soon as he picked that odor up, you could tell by his body language. Maybe his ears go back. Maybe he goes from, you know, searching wide to really narrow real quick or, you know, just any, you just pick up on stuff. And man, I mean, I tell you, we, uh, we've come into a couple compounds and, you know, you just look at him, you know, he comes in and he just, he's, it's not himself. He's not his normal search. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I kind of find out, you know, there's AKs and OPGs and stuff like that, you know, right? or, you know, some dude hiding in the, in a room with a freaking AK waiting on you. I mean, it's just, right. I, it's like you said, it, it's like they know and, uh, but but being with them, you get to learn that body language. Um, not necessarily like to know what each thing means. Like, hey, this dude's got this guy with a gun here. But you could just tell that like, something was off. You right. just be more more cautious as you proceeded. Right. Is there ever is there an instance that you look back on that you're like when you look at your dog and you just kind of like, man, buddy, you saved my ass that day you know, like one of those types of moments where you can kind of just like vividly remember, you know, think back to like, man, if it weren't for him, I would have been a world, I would have been a, in a heap of shit. Um, I mean, anytime we found any sort of, uh, explosives, definitely. Um, yeah. so there's been multiple occasions of it. Nothing where it was like, like he had, uh, you know, get in the way or anything like that. But definitely, you know, I mean, any, any day you come home safe is, is a blessing mm-hmm. um, over there. And, you know, luckily I was never put into that situation where I had to really worry about, um, you know, where he had to, would have had to step in mm-hmm. to do that, which was nice. Uh, most of the stuff we got were, with firefights and everything like that versus um, explosives right where we were at so that was that was kind of good um but i mean i, I out of all the the moments when we were deployed together i would say it's not a um i wouldn't say it was like a save my ass moment but it was just a a good visual of why dogs are so important in combat. And uh, I was on a base uh, doing a train-up with a civilian dog trainer from the kennel facility that owned the dogs. And uh, I was on a base called Camp Nathan Smith in Candy Hood. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just hanging out, you know, busting some spades. And... Uh, you know, we start hearing all this explosions. You know, is that incoming and outgoing? You know, we kind of hanging out. Well, it was actually a compound adjacent to the base. Um, there was three insurgents in there, and they had it, you know, loaded down with suicide vests, C4 the door, um, you know, AKs, just drum, you know, just rounds everywhere, and they had a um, coilless mortar uh, and they were lobbing that and RPGs 
overall to the base. So everybody took cover. They took, you know, we've got these big giant concrete barriers on certain bases and everything that are, that are big. Yeah. Most of the time I worked out of a fob, which is a forward out base. And, uh, you don't have that stuff. (laughs) Right. It's, it's nitty gritty, but, um, so they actually spun me up to start search um, a couple incoming round of mortars and stuff like that uh, didn't detonate. Uh, they've got this technology in this room that is just unreal, hmm. and it can actually track stuff and tracks if it exploded and all that. So I got spun up and started searching, and um, we were coming up the south side of this wall on the base, and... Uh, all I hear is, and I immediately knew it was an RPG. Mm-hmm. It's just a, got such a distinctive sound, and you hear so many of them and all. And I would say I was within, I don't know, 35, 40 meters of it, and um, like straight off from my side, and it blew on this concrete wall, and that kind of got the blood pumping a little bit and uh so we do our search and everything and we start going through the tent that had gotten hit by these rpgs and right the mortars and uh we're coming through this one tent it's dark and uh my dog kept going in between these two kennels with these two cots and i was you know people got food and stuff and i'm like dude come come on quit digging around right there's nothing over there so we try to go, he go back to it. I'm like, dude, let's go. Quit messing around. And I probably pulled him off of it three times, three or four times. Well, finally, I was like, yeah, well, maybe I should just let the thing back to him. Because, you know, because I, I knew it wasn't explosive. And uh, just, you know, his behavior. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I finally ended up going back over there to him. And he's back in the back. I can't see him because it's so dark. Live, I have this little light on my vest, and I flipped it up and I looked, and it was all I saw was a belt buckle and ACUs, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Hmm. And of course, I knew it wasn't American because we were wearing multi cams, right? And I just followed the light up, and it was actually a um, an Afghan interpreter. And he had took a mortar round right to the face. Jeez. So, um, I mean, that was probably like the biggest, uh, like proud dad moment, I guess right. you could say. Yeah. Uh, with me and my dog, and you know, I ended up carrying him out of there and taking him to the aid station, but um. You know, unfortunately, he didn't make it. Um, right. But man, I mean, dogs—they just—it's yeah. hard to explain it. They're, they're better than any machine. I can tell you that. Yeah, it's it's something something about them, man. It's a uh, unconditional love, and they will and they will have your back from the from the day they meet you to the day that they're not there anymore. You know what I mean? It's just like it's just unreal how they how they bond to you. I mean, even, you know, even non-working dogs, man, you know, it's, you know, again, 
not a similar experience at all, you know, but I had a, a Roddy who was, you know, was my buddy, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he knew my wife was pregnant before we did, <laughs> you know what I mean? He was following, oh, her. he was following her around. Like he wouldn't leave her alone. And my wife was like, you know, she was like, Clint, what is going on with, with his name was Gibson after, after my guitars. She's like, what's going on with mm. Gibson? Why won't he leave me alone? And I was like, I don't know. You know, it's, I don't know what's up with him. And it was like probably like two weeks and she ended up taking a pregnancy test and sure enough, she was pregnant and he would not leave her side from the moment that he knew that she was pregnant until she had our daughter. And then once he, once we had our, our daughter and we brought her home, we'd be on the couch with her and she, he would lean right up against the couch and just watch her. And that was it. Like he was not going to leave that kid's side. It was just, it was just crazy. Like the intuition that he had that he knew and that was his job was to make sure everything was cool and he was going to do that, you know? Um, but uh, you mentioned earlier, man, you know, and I want to touch on like, you know, you and I talked a little bit about the idea of why we hunt. It's been something that I've been doing with the, you know, the guys that I've had on from different backgrounds and getting a sense of why they hunt. You mentioned it earlier and we talked about it just a little bit before we started recording and, you know, it was the different reasons why we hunt and stuff like that. And, and what you had mentioned earlier was just, you know, you know, flinging arrows and shooting a bow was just something about it that was, you know, you kind of really leaning toward, you know, that the idea of like that being some form of release or therapy or whatever it was to when you came back to kind of get into to get your head right and kind of stay off being medicated and stuff like that. So like, let's talk about the reason why you hunt, what it means to you, and we'll start wherever you want to. All right. Um, you know, like I had mentioned before, even I started hunting with my dad at a very early age and got my first bow when I was 13. Of course, I didn't hunt with it. You know, it was just backyard fun. Um, so that's always been uh, one of the main reasons I've always hunted. Um, just my whole family has ever has done it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a food source, way to support, table, you know, support family and all that. But um, uh, when I got back from Afghanistan, um, I really struggled um, with alcoholism. Uh, I just I could not couldn't not drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a way for me to just kind of become numb in a sense to um, the memories of you know friends that I had lost. Yep. Um, stuff I'd seen and um you know and it, it really put me in a bad place and yeah I had a couple friends commit suicide mm. just struggling with PTSD and uh you know instead of getting help I just kind of went down the the other path you know it's like that angel and devil on your shoulders and I just I went the wrong route and uh you know I was drinking heavily uh you know, snorting pain medication and, and just, I was really at a time in my life where, um, it was either I was just going to keep doing what I was doing or, you know, you know, take the easy way out, uh, like my friends did and just be done with it all. Um, but deep down I knew that, I had a lot more to live for. Um, God put me on this planet for a reason. And, uh, you know, everybody has struggles. And uh, if there's anybody out there that 
is in the, was in the military or still is or anything that's that's going through that feeling um please feel free to find me on instagram or whatever dude i'm there to come you know i've i've been through it i've followed it and um you know, I'm, I'm living and breathing today you know letting you guys know that you can get through it but uh you know that was that was the big thing. Uh, that was a big turning point. I woke up one day and went to my local liquor store and um, was buying my usual um, fifth of Jack. And on the way back, I just happened to look out. There was a couple of mule deer standing there, and I was like, "Man, I missed hunting." You know, I, I hadn't done it for. You. I probably hadn't hunted for, I don't know, three and a half years, three years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, you know, just seeing those deer, I was like, man, I just, I miss it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went, I, you know, I got back to the, to my room or my house and, you know, I just got thinking, and you know, I got looking on YouTube and watching some videos and stuff. I'm like, man, you know, you know, I started getting that excitement. Yeah. And uh, right then, I was like, you know what? Hey, you know, I don't, I don't need these things. I don't need this alcohol. Um, this gets me excited. You know, I need to get back into my roots of what I had done growing up, and. uh Ended up going to a local bow store, and uh, most of you guys might know him, Evan Williams, mm-hmm. the voice of Hoyt Archery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was actually a local bow technician in, uh, at Bell Pellegrino's in Colorado Springs, and met him, and he hooked me up, and uh, that was all she wrote. I mean, I, I stopped drinking. Um, I'm not going to say I have completely went sober <laughs> right uh, I, I like i like my natural lights but um <laughs> you know it 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 really saved me um like i said I, w- I wouldn't be here today without it so it's not just social media as uh it's hurt and helped the hunting industry in my mm-hmm. opinion right. um we see pictures of 160, 170, 180 inch deer, and too many people think that's the standard. Um, well, you have to you have to kill a good buck, and uh, you know I've seen pictures of of guys shooting year and a half, two year old, you know, little bucks, you know, six little six points, little eight points, and you know, people are bashing them like. Oh man, you should have let them grow, blah, 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 all this stuff. You know, if you're managing, that's fine. Um, but that's on you. That's not him. You know, to me, the guys that go out and shoot small bucks or shoot does, you know, all the time and all that stuff, to me, that's, they're the real hunters. They're, they're really, they're in it for the real reason. Um, not just the, shoot a big buck and post pictures of it all the time and brag about it. I mean, too many times you see that. And, uh, right. And that's kind of like me. I mean, you know, I'm not, I managed to an extent. Um, 
but I don't have a deer on my wall that's over 130 inches. Right. And, and just, I'm not, I'm not going to pass a, a buck that gets me excited, whether it's 100 inches or, or what it is, to wait for something else. I mean, I just, I love to hunt. I mean, I love, I love shooting does. Yeah. I'll shoot a doe any day. <laughs> right. I mean, over a buck. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, meat mentality, you know, doing like that. Yeah, man. I mean, well, I think too that, you know, all the stuff that you've seen, been through and stuff like that, it's when you find that joy again, right? It's like, you don't want to suppress that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, why, why push it to the back? It doesn't make any sense to, you know what I mean? Um, you know, I appreciate you sharing that, man. Like, first off, I want to say, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you stuck around. Um, I want to say thank you for all all the stuff you did, your service, and and um, you know the sacrifices that you and your family made. Um, so, and I, and I hope that people out there, if they are struggling, I hope they do get a hold of you. You know, I think that I think that the outdoors and the timber have have a way of doing some healing. You know, and, and I uh, absolutely, and I hope that more people turn to that and uh, you know and find value in their value in their self again. You know, so. But with that man, you know, I think that that's a killer message to end on. Um, I want to say thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this. Anytime, man. I, I really appreciate uh, you know, getting to spend time and talk to you and share my story. And, and then hopefully, uh, you know, this will get out to the right people if they're going through something. And uh, they'll turn to it and, and get better because, I mean, we only have each other in this world. That's it, man. And that's that's a perfect message to end on, man. So, Corey Williamson, everyone, and uh, we'll talk again soon, buddy. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Corey for joining. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Obsession Bows, Ram Cap Rodheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.